Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the digital campus of Newark United Pentecostal Church. This is our Sunday evening broadcast, and I am Stephen Beardsley. And, of course, you all know Brother Moss, Roy, Pastor Roy. I love calling you that. For those of you that don't know on the broadcast, that's my father-in-law. But when he's Pastor Roy, he's Roy, because I'm Stephen, so we don't play favorites here. Anyway. It's fun to be together tonight, and tonight is special. The reason I'm on, I'm not the speaker, I'm not doing anything very long, but the reason I'm here is to just kind of draw our attention, whether you realize it or not, whether you uh, um, have been paying attention to the time, but this is our one-year anniversary of what? Well, you all remember, and you may know this this year because there was an address from the President of the United States, President Joe Biden, on Wednesday evening. And on Wednesday evening, he marked the one-year anniversary of the United States beginning to officially shut down and respond to the pandemic. The following day, Thursday, our governor had a press conference and announced that 8 a.m. Friday morning, there would be a state of emergency. And at that time, we all saw that. We paid attention to it. We read the state of emergency and we thought, OK, we're going to need to shut down for several weeks. And so that Friday night, the pastoral team met together. We weighed all the options. In fact, some of us were even skeptical. I will tell you at the time. And I was very strongly, no, we need to respond to this and we need to shut down. And so we shut down, I thought, for a couple of weeks. Well, ladies and gentlemen, tonight marks that we have been shut down for one whole year. And, you know, coming into this, Dad, I thought, should I be celebrating this? Should I be just marking this? I, you know, what, what's the appropriate response? It doesn't feel right to ignore it. Um, because this past year has been extraordinary. It's been extraordinarily hard. It's been extraordinarily, it's been a year of growth and learning. The whole church went through a technology upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> and my father-in-law is, is one of the ones that's going through that technology upgrade. Uh, you know, it's it's just like, whoo, what are we're doing? What we're we're using? What you know, weird words like Zoom and WebEx and and Streamyard and 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 Restream and all this weird stuff. That's it's like, what are you talking about? You know, you're talking Greek, and uh, and all of you have had to go through this, and we're a church that's committed to all of us. And so for some of us, this has been a lot of fun. For some of you, this has been excruciating. Not only can you not be with your brothers and sisters in person, and, and you've been so great. The vast majority of you have recognized why the pastoral team and I have done what we've done. And you've even expressed your appreciation for our guarding your health and for, for being careful and our witness to the larger community. But at the same time, it was hard. It was challenging. Um, but at the same time, we saw God moving. We recognized his voice before the pandemic and recognized uh, he knew this was coming. Prophecies that were spoken, sermons that were preached, preparation that we didn't even know was there. And then financially, you all stayed so faithful. And again, we haven't had a business meeting, so I don't want to steal the thunder too much. But basically 2018 and 2019 were our two all-time giving years of, of the history of the church. 2020, the middle of a pandemic, was in the middle of those two. In other words, our top three all-time giving years are 2018, 2020, 
and 2019. And in the midst of that, God said, well, let me do a little bit more. And so he blessed us with the PPP loan, which was about $80,000 that was put into our coffers to use for the kingdom and for the work that we're doing. And then, as you all know, he's basically upgrading the entire sanctuary on the dime of a, of a, of a storm possibly over $200,000 of provision right there. And so when you put the two together, it is possible by the time this is all done that God in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this past year has said, by the way, while you church are being faithful, I'm going to drop an additional $300,000 of resources into your hands. And so I'm not sure, dad, that I really want to sit here and bemoan the last year. Baby dedications have occurred. We've baptized people. Nice. New people have joined small groups. Some of you have fallen away. If you watch this later, I'm, I, I need to see you in small groups. So it's been a challenge. We've had to dig our own wells. We've had to figure out technology. But at the same time, I think it's safe to say, and this is what I want to say, and then kind of get out of the way on the broadcast. I think it's safe to say, through it all, God has been faithful. Definitely. It's different. We've had to make some tough choices. We've had to do some things that not everybody understands. And we may even look back on them in years to come and go, you know, we might should have done this or might should have done that. But we've done the best we knew how. And God has been faithful in the midst of that. And I want to say to those of you that are watching the broadcast tonight, whether you're watching it live or you're now watching it at a later point, you have also been faithful. It's been different for all of us. Some of us have hated it. Some of us have enjoyed certain aspects of it. We will have a learning curve. We're going to have to learn how to hug and shake hands again because we've been ingrained to, to stay back some. And there's going to be adjustments in all of this. But at this one-year mark, as we're looking forward, and we probably got about four more months, okay? And I'm not, for some of you, life is getting better, brother. Brother Moss, Roy is, Pastor Roy is, is, he's free and clear. He's got the vaccine. So there are dividends for getting old and breaking down. <laughs> Others of us that are younger and, you know, we're not breaking down as much. They're saying, no, you're going to wait a little longer. You're, you're going to, um, but in the midst of all this, God has been so faithful. And so tonight I just wanted to start the broadcast, just acknowledging that we had no idea what was in front of us. When we met that Friday evening following the, the institution of the state of emergency in the state of Delaware, and we said, we're going to meet, we're going to do online and God lover, Rachel, there are days I love you. And there are days I want to get a BB gun and shoot you like repeatedly for suggesting to us that we broadcast daily. My Lord, how aggressive, but we've done it. We've continued to provide you with feeding. We've continued to provide you with community We've continued to provide you with a way to work through this. And here we are one year through it and God has been faithful. And so I encourage you, let's thank God tonight for his faithfulness. Let's be thankful in our spirits. And let's also, as we see the end coming, let's continue to be faithful over these next four months. Let's continue to be wise over these next four months as we see things beginning to return to a level of normalcy. There'll still be some some social distancing and some masking and things that'll go on a little bit longer. But this year is probably going to, by the time it is over, we're going to be able to unfold back to much more of our normal for which we're, we're looking forward to. And we're thankful. 
But when you look back over this past year, Dad, I think it's been crystal clear. God was not defeated by a pandemic. Right. He was faithful. And his people were enabled by him and by their own ingenuity. God had faith in all of us. And I am thankful for that. And I'm thankful to serve all of you. Pastoral team and I are just so grateful for your faithfulness. And so to all of you that are watching tonight, whether live or, or, or later, we just want to say and mark this moment and say one year has passed. we got another three, four months to go here. But you've been so faithful and so has God. And we're thankful. We're thankful. All right. I'm going to leave the broadcast. Dad, I'm going to leave you to it. And uh, I hope I didn't mess up what you're going to bring to us tonight and introducing the theme and all of that kind of stuff. But I just thought it would be appropriate for us to mark Pause for a moment and mark this moment. One year ago, we started what we thought was a couple of weeks of something a little weird. And one year later, well, let's just say we've gotten a lot better at doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and so thank you all for your faithfulness in the midst of this. All right. Take it away, Dad. All right. And before I get to into what I'm going to be talking about tonight, our theme and, and uh, what we'll be studying the rest of this week. I need to let you know that on April the 4th, now that's Easter this year, but we will again be having on the internet live communion service on April the 4th in our regular broadcast time. So if you want to take these next few days, whatever, you know, time is left between here and there and uh, make some preparations, uh, get some things into your home for having a communion service. You remember that we did this last year, just shortly after we shut down. And uh, so we've decided we want to do that again. As has been mentioned, we've done baby dedications. We've done all the teaching. We have arranged for baptismal services that have been taken care of during this uh, epidemic pandemic time. And so we're going to once again uh, all go to the upper room and there be with our Lord in that communion, that remembering of that Last Supper. And I'm not going to get into talking about what all that commemorates what is the symbolism is, but so April the 4th, Easter Sunday, be ready. We're going to be having communion again. So now this week we are, as has been said, and I'll hit this again in just a moment, but we've been at this for a while and we were not prepared. I don't know if anybody was prepared for this. But uh, we had to do what we could with what we had. And so in one of those meetings that Stephen was telling you about, those weekly meetings, uh, we came up with uh, the theme for this week of use what is in your hand. Uh, we, we had to do something right, wrong, or indifferent. And so we turned to the technology that in 
not ages past, but even decades past was not available, but now it's available. It's in our hand. And some of us, as you have heard my son-in-law allude to, have had to climb a steep learning curve with all of this stuff, but we've done it. We took what was available. We took what was there. And so this week we're going to be going to various places in the scripture and talk about using what is in your hand. And tonight I am going to begin with the Apostle Paul. We're going to talk about some times when he had some problems, ran into some difficulties, and what he was able to do and his use of that day's technology, that day's communication systems to continue to spread the word of God. Let's start with a word of prayer here for just a moment. Dear Jesus, we thank you, Savior, for your trust is, has already been said tonight in us that we could serve you, be part of your kingdom in this time when the whole world has been put in a balance and not just the world as a, as a conglomerate, but individually we have been weighed as to our response and our spirits have been tried. Lord, I pray tonight that you would open our eyes and our understanding that you would help us, oh God, to realize what you are doing and that this is not in, in the long run stunted your kingdom a bit, that you're still God. You're not surprised by this. And we are privileged to be able to work with you and to, if you will, explore new territory for the kingdom. Lord, bless us and help, we pray in Jesus' name. Now, I've got some things. I've got an outline, some things written out here, and, and some of them have already been covered, but I want to cover them again and talk about that a year ago this week, we were placed under lockdown for two weeks to uh, <clears throat> flatten the curve of hospitalizations. We were told to follow the science, uh, and, but at that time, there really wasn't much science because science, which comes from a Latin word, scary, which means to know, uh, that takes time. And when they put us on lockdown, the time to scary to know had not yet passed. And all science really starts with a guess and then is followed by testing to see whether that guess was right or not. Now we have some science about this. You see, then we, we really didn't know much about this novel, or the word means new, this new coronavirus. The two weeks have stretched to 52 weeks, and we're not back in person yet. This time last year, the pastoral team was scrambling to come up with a way to continue ministry under, around, over, through 
all of the restrictions that we were facing. We had no miracles in reserve. Uh, only what we had at hand. One thing we had was an ancient pattern of the starting of the church in good circumstances and in bad circumstances. So let's look at some of the things that they did and particularly with Paul and uh, his outreach to the world of that day. Now they had used technology. Paul used the technology of that day and part of the technology, part of the, if you will, infrastructure of the Roman empire was the Roman road system. Now they didn't build the roads for Paul. They built the roads for other purposes. These, this road system that they had made possible the Roman conquest. And that was one of the major reasons that they built those roads. And, and then the administration of those conquered territories and later it provided a, a highway for the great migrations into the empire. And Paul and others used it as a means for the diffusion or the spreading of Christianity. And even though that's been a couple of thousand years ago, there are places in Europe and in the Near East where those roads are still in existence. And if you happen to be in those areas, you can probably go walk some of those roads. Uh, they continued to be used uh, on a regular basis throughout the Middle Ages. And as I said, some of them are still there today. Now, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 41, Jesus told us or said, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. I'm using the uh, New Living Translation mostly this evening. And there were mile markers all along these highways, a mile apart, obviously, and it told you, those mile markers would tell you how far you were from the central mile marker that started in, or that was erected in Rome. And so it was easy to tell when you had gone a mile. And so Jesus himself was referring to this system of roads for his uh, illustration of doing above and beyond. Uh, in Acts 18, 23, and they don't have all of these that I'm going to use tonight to put up on the screen, but uh, we're told about uh, Paul that uh, after spending some time in Antioch, Paul went back through Galatia and Phrygia, visiting and strengthening all of the believers. He would have been able to travel around to these places quickly, relatively easily, because of those Roman roads connecting these cities. Again, in Acts chapter 19 and verse 1, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Again, he was able to travel and go where he did uh, by using the Roman roads. These Roman roads and we can uh, find this in a book called uh, Romans, The Romans in 100 Facts and another one called The Great 
armies of antiquity that these Roman roads covered or comprised around 250,000 miles of roads, a quarter of a million miles of roads. And of those, about 50,000 were paved. Um, at the peak of Rome's development, there were no fewer than 29 military highways that radiated from the capital. And by the late, uh, and in the late empire, the 113 provinces were connected by 372 great roads. Uh, then we find that there were other means of transportation. Acts 13 and 4 lets us know that so Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Crete. So here they go using another form of technology and transportation. And that was they got on a boat and they sailed. These folks knew how to navigate from one place to the other. And there are at least eight other references to sailing in Acts before Paul's journey to Rome, which he made by ship, of course. So the travel was the technology of the day uh, advanced by the Roman roads and by the interconnection of the maritime industry and the sailing ships that plowed the seas of that day. Paul also used what was at hand in that he took advantage, if you will, of his Roman citizenship. Uh, when the riot happened in Jerusalem uh, and the uh, soldiers came out, broke everything up, took Paul back into the Fortress Antonia, which was right there by the temple, in the 22nd chapter of the book of Acts, uh, the captain of the guard told his men, said, take him in the other room, uh, take some whips and get some truth out of him. Have him answer you some questions. And so in the uh, 26th verse, Paul asked the question, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen? who hasn't even been tried. Of course, that frightened these men, and one of them went quickly to the captain and, and began to talk to him about it. And uh, so the captain said, are you, came in and asked, are you a Roman soldier? Paul said, yeah, a, a Roman citizen. He said, yes. Uh, the, the captain said, well, I'm a Roman citizen too, but it cost me a lot of money. And Paul said, but I was born a Roman citizen. Something had happened in his family back years before that uh, made his citizenship hereditary. And then in verse 29, we read the soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard he was a Roman citizen. And the commander was frightened because he had given the order to have him bound and whipped. You see, there was a, a law, a rule in the Roman Empire 
called the Ius uh, Migrationis. And that you, from that we get the word migration, traveling from place to place. And the reason this was the use of a justice, Migrationis, was because it would travel with the citizen from place to place throughout the empire. There were some things that uh, you just, you had a privilege in one place, but not another. But there was this citizenship that wherever you were in the empire, it was there. It, it uh, gave you the right, in fact, to ignore some local uh, regulations and even laws. Uh, it gave you the right to sue in court. Of course, backing that up, you could also be sued. But uh, I noticed there's some things here that were particularly important in this, and this is what was uh, part of what Paul was talking about, that there was the right to appeal from the decisions of magistrates and to appeal the judgment of lower court decisions. And following the second century BC Pokean laws, a Roman citizen could not be tortured or whipped. And they could even commute a sentence of death to a voluntary exile, leaving Rome, going to an island or someplace, uh, because they were citizens and they couldn't, they could had a privilege to even undo a death sentence. But if they were accused of treason, a Roman citizen had the right to be tried in Rome. He could appeal to Caesar. And even if he was sentenced to death, they had another rule for Roman citizens that they could not be sentenced to die by crucifixion. So Paul used these things. It was at hand. So what he had available, he used. Then he used his education. Paul was a well-educated man and his religion. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 3, again, we're back to the temple riot. Paul stood and, and addressed the crowd that was there, and he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, in the city in Sicilia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. Now, he's name-dropping there because Gamaliel was one of the outstanding teachers of that time. And as his student, I carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. The folks were accusing him of breaking the law, and so he's reminding them, I know what the law says. And I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. Here they are standing in the temple. They're accusing him, and he says, I've... I had the best education uh, under one of the best teachers, and I know what is right and what is wrong. You can't teach me anything about that. And then when Paul was out on the missionary trail, if you will, he uh, used quotations, not only from the scriptures, but he quoted pagan philosophers and poets so that uh, he could appeal by the things that the, his audience knew and the things that they accepted. In Acts 17 and 28, he was in Athens talking uh, to some philosophers there and said, he said, 
for in him we live and move and exist. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. That last part of it, the quote, we are his offspring, comes from a poet by the name of Aratus, who uh, was about 300 years before Paul, and is also a quote, almost, almost a quote, nearly the same thing from a religious hymn by a man named Cleanthes of Troas, ancient Troy, which was also a contemporary of Aretas. Then in Titus 1 and 12, Paul was uh, writing to this preacher and, and he was giving him instruction. Even though one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. Well, he was quoting Epimenides, who was born in Crete and was reckoned as one of the seven wise men of Greece. So he was, he was using these pagan men and things that they had said to strengthen his argument. Uh, in Corinthians chapter 15, 33, he said, don't be fooled by those who say such things as he had been talking about. And then he quoted Meander when he said, bad company corrupts good character. So he was using his education. His, he used not only his religious education, he used his secular education to advance the gospel in any way that he could. By this, it, uh, from Matthew Henry's commentary, it says, by this it appears not only that Paul was himself a scholar, but that human learning is both ornamental and serviceable to a gospel minister, especially for the convincing of those that are without, without the church, for it enables him to beat them at their own weapons. Uh, and to cut off Goliath's head with his own sword. It, it's, it's great when we can take something that the world will accept and then turn it around to show the truths that God has made available. Paul was not above using his religious knowledge and his training for his own benefit as well. In Acts chapter 23, verse number 6, Paul was brought before the council and, and he, was, he was in trouble. Uh, they, they had him on, I'm sure they could bring up several charges, but verse 23 in uh, chapter 23 and verse six says, Paul realized that some of the members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I am on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. Verse 7, this divided the council, the Pharisees against Sadducees. And they got so busy fussing with each other, they kind of forgot about Paul. He was not above using his background. Uh, in Acts chapter 26 and 4, and the Jewish believers are well aware. I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood 
among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest of our religion. I am now on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. Again, calling up that division between these various sects that were there in the uh, Jewish religion. And then in Galatians uh, 1 and 13, he says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. And here he is countering arguments that those that are trying to draw people away from the Lord. And he's, he's using his own past, something he has in his hand, something that's it's his. And he's telling them, I've, I was as bad or I was worse at fighting the church and fighting this truth than these fellows can be. But God's made a difference in my life. He, he could use his family trees. Paul was a little bit, uh, if you will, sneaky sometimes. And he would say things in one direction, but he was going in exactly the opposite direction when you stop and think about it. And as Brother Desi says, do a slow read. In Philippians 3, beginning with verse 5, he uses his family tree, his, his background and his history. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. A real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, he considered them worthless, but he's also just put everybody who is using their own background in their place because they can't match him. They can't match his story. And then there came a day, there came a time, well, probably several times in Paul's ministry when he wound up in jail, in prison, in the dungeon, behind bars, chained to the wall, who who knows what all that he went through in those times, but he was, <clears throat> he wasn't flattening the curve. He was just confined. He was quarantined away to not to protect him, but to protect a pagan world from the, the chaos as they saw it, that often followed wherever he went. Some folks have said those that have turned the world upside down have come here also. Well, they didn't know it, but they were so used to the world being upside down, they didn't recognize when it was being turned right side up. But they often, several times, 
I'm sure we don't even have record of all the times that Paul was in prison. So if you are preaching the gospel, taking the word here, there, and yonder, and suddenly you can't go here, there, and yonder, what do you do? When you're in a pandemic of opposition, confined to quarters, not even your own quarters, do you turn to technology? Well, he had been using the technology of the roads and the ships. He had been using the education, his religion, his, his background. But now he's still got those things. They've not torn up the roads. They've not sunk all the ships. But now he needs to communicate. But he's going to have to communicate by writing. And uh, Paul had his own lockdown. It wasn't an, an invisible virus that confined him, but it was prison walls and armed guards. And all of his Roman rights did not loose him and let him go. So he turned to the technology available in his day. What was at hand? He used the postal service. This still took advantage of those Roman roads and the commercial naval traffic. Just, but it was just his words that were going instead of his person. His person could not be out and about, but he used what was at hand. Now, they have identified Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon as certainly prison epistles, letters written by Paul while he was in prison. And then 2 Timothy would also very likely fall into that category. So that would be five of the books that are the letters that Paul wrote that we have that were penned while he was in prison. And though he may have used a scribe for part of it, we know from Galatians 6 and Philemon 19 or that uh, he did some of it by his own hand. In Galatians 6 and 11, he says, notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. And in Philemon verse 19, and again, this is some of that tricky writing that Paul does. He writing to uh, Philemon about the slave Onesimus who is converted. He's a runaway slave. He was owned by Philemon. And Paul is asking Philemon to take him back and treat him as a brother. And he says, uh, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, speaking of any debt that might be uh, involved here. And then he, he twists it, gives that zinger to it when he says, I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. No, I'm not going to mention that. <laughs> but this gives us the idea, it lets us know that Paul wrote 
by his his own hand some of at least parts of these letters when he may have dictated the rest of it. Preaching personally, in person, Paul needed Luke or another storyteller historian to preserve his words. But writing, whether he was free or imprisoned, has made his message available to billions over the centuries. What we have done in these broadcasts and, and will do on this digital campus has the possibility to still be ministering to the hearts and lives of men, women, and children when the trumpet sounds. Not only these nightly broadcasts, but there's been work that's been done all along this way for our children and for our youth. We've used uh, the technology for our small groups as we've studied the Word of God and, and kept our fellowship and held prayer meetings and all of these things. We're using what's at hand. We're using what we have. And instead of preaching two or three times a week, we've been ministering six nights a week for a year. And we have accumulated nearly 300 sessions of, of these nightly programs in digital form. A form that can remain available even as formats and technologies change. With the songs, the word, the interviews, you don't have to wait for Sunday morning for a blessing or a pick-me-up. When difficult times come, when you need something to, to look at, to hear, to listen to, it's available. It's all there on newarkupc.info. It's on Facebook. It's on YouTube. Have at it. Now let me close with another scripture. I don't think they've got this one. That doesn't matter. But it's from 2 Timothy, one of those prison letters. Chapter 2 and verse 9. Paul said, wherein, I, and this is from King James, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. The pandemic has shut us in for a year, but the word of God is not bound. Take advantage of it. It's still there for you. God bless you. Remember the uh, communion service, April the 4th, and we'll see you Tuesday night. God bless you.